a hello. Uh, this is me. And just remember, when you're editing this, be kind. <laughs> I'm saving that audio clip. <laughs> Cambria Regional Chamber presents Where Adventure Lives, the podcast, where we explore recreation in our region and introduce you to recreation enthusiasts who live it, love it, and help make it happen. Welcome to a special episode of Where Adventure Lives broadcast. I'm David O'Leary. I'm the guest host this week with Mike Cook as the uh, as the guest. I uh, just want to start off by thanking the Remax team of realtors for supporting Where Adventure Lives, the podcast. The Bob Colden team is ready to help you discover all of our area's adventures. Find your perfect place at www.movejohnstown.com or call anytime at 814-262-7653. That was a good library, Dave. Uh, did you radio in a past life? You know, I, uh, I did a little college radio. Okay. Yeah, so in case you didn't pick up on that, uh, I, interviewing myself is boring. So for stuff like this, I'm going to bring in special guest hosts. And Dave is it today. So Dave... Host away. Great. I, I just want to thank Mike for this opportunity. I think the world of Mike, and I, I'm not trying to make him turn pink like he's starting to right now, I'm, but I'm but you know th there are people in this town that give a lot um, of their time and effort and resources, and Mike's one of the top ones I can think of. So just to uh, sort of touch a couple bases here, you are the founder of the Friends of Inclined Plane Trails. Yeah, yeah, it started out as a Visions 2025 capture team. Uh, Back whenever that program initially started, has kind of grown into its own thing since then. Okay. You are also the, the president of the Ben's Creek Canoe Club. I sure am. That's pretty time intensive. <laughs> that is very time intensive. And you are also on the board of directors for the Connemaw Valley Conservancy. I am, yeah. So. And I'm also the chair for the Cambria Regional Chamber Rec Committee. Okay. I didn't know that one. Yeah, I, I saw so, that it wasn't on your yeah. notes, so I figured I'd throw that out. That's, what we, that's how we're doing the podcast, yeah, is okay. through that rec committee gotcha. and the Cambria Regional So it's, Chamber. Im it's important to bring that up then. Sure. <laughs> so in, in addition to that, you have a full-time job in IT. Yeah. You are a husband. You're a homeowner. Um, there is one thing that we have to talk about. Yeah, you bring out the elephant in the room. And we're going we're gonna to bring up the elephant. And for the record, this is not all me. It's been addressed in public forums. It has. Uh, I can think of last year. Uh, it was addressed at a public forum. It's been brought up in print mm -hmm. in Johnstown mm -hmm. Magazine. Um, how would you describe your cat issue? Is it more of an obsession or a fetish? A, a borderline obsessive, I'd say. I didn't realize they were collectible until I got my first one. And <laughs> it was all downhill after that. Yeah. Uh, I like animals more than people. I used to work at Petco. And, and one of the perks of Petco was like we had the little adopt the cats area. And people would bring their pets in. And I always enjoyed interfacing with pets and dogs and cats and birds and ferrets. Cats uh, and I share the same personality. Uh, we like people homicidal. when we like yeah, well, yeah, homicidal. And we like people when we like people. Oh, <laughs> and okay. uh, and uh, it, they're great housemates. We don't have kids. So like the fact that I can like put a bowl of food out and a bowl of water and a litter box and children and youth doesn't get called on me or you're yeah, CYS. Yeah. Children Youth Service. Yeah. I like them for that, you know? Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, I, I just want to say, though, I respect your right to make your life choices. Sure. <laughs> I, I just think you bombarding my social media uh, with cat pictures borders on a hate crime. Uh, look, my cats are adorable, and if I could shove their fuzzy faces down your social media throat, then I'm going to. And just one more question about cats. Do you want a black cat with green eyes? I've, I've got a line on one. No, no, I am not taking your wife's cat. This is now the fourth time you've tried to get me to take your wife's cat. All right. 
<laughs> so anyway, <laughs> moving on. Good, We're good try. I'm not here to talk about cats anymore. Uh, what I'd like to talk about is the inclined plane trails that you've been active in. It's, it's really, we don't have time to talk about everything else you do. So we're just going to focus on that one section. And um, for listeners who are somewhat familiar with the area, we're talking about where the inclined plane runs from Broad Street. Is that Broad Street right there still or is that Roosevelt? Roosevelt. I Roosevelt, think. I believe. Yeah. Up to um, Edge Hill. Edge Hill. And uh, at the top is where Asiago's restaurant is, where there's a little visitor center. Um, there's a, a little retail presence up there by Camtran. And um, uh, can you just sort of walk us through the history of, like, I guess, when you realized there was an opportunity there? Um, back, I guess it was in the, uh, the 70s, so far as I can tell from my research, there was a gentleman who developed a series of trails on the inclined plain hillside. And um, they utilized some old service roads in the area. So there were three tiers of trails as you go up the hill with a switchback. It ran out to Yoder Street. Uh, you'd hit a switchback, go back to the incline, basically, hit another switchback, and then go out to Blair Street, um, up by where Eliza's Organics is now by Grandview. And my office was downtown at the time and I needed something to do over my hour lunch break so I'd go for a run every day. One day I crossed the bridge at the incline plane I just happened to see a sign that said two trails and I figured what the heck I'll, I'll, I'll run a hill over my lunch break so I ran up the trails. As I, one does. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> I'm bored. I should be eating a sandwich. Let's go run a hill. And since then I've discovered that running isn't fun in case anybody didn't realize Not that. for elderly knees. No, yeah. no. I was running up them and over time I noticed more and more trees were coming down and I wanted to put something together that reopened those trails because Public Works doesn't have time to go up and chainsaw trees off of hiking trails. And at the same time, my friend Dave, not Dave O'Leary, uh, Dave Rasmussen, uh, said, well, why aren't there mountain bike trails up there? He's like, this hillside's prime for that. And you have lift access in the form of, of the incline planes. That's a really great question. So. We sat down and wrote a project proposal uh, to, to deliver to the city. Uh, at the time, we were going through city managers like I change underpants, which is frequently. And Arch Liston was here at the time. He looked at it, thought it was a great idea, got the solicitor to sign off on it. And, uh, you know, the, the horses were out of the gate, so to speak, at that point. Uh, it was seven years ago. Um, we started by just clearing out that initial set of hiking trails going through, chainsawing all the trees out and making those usable. And then at the corner of Tioga and Edge Hill, we started construction of the downhill mountain bike trails that are part of the system today. Right. So the, just to clarify, so there is a, a more hiking oriented trail that runs from the top behind Asiago's. Correct. That yeah. would be extremely technical to take a bike down. <laughs> it would. <laughs> you like, need a trials bike, I think, to do part of that. Talk. Yeah, you'd have to like have some really good front brakes to pick up the back of the bike. And yeah. uh, it starts off if you're walking toward the incline plane and the hill is on your right. If you look, there's a ramp that goes down toward Asiago's lower half. If you walk down that, it cuts back behind you then, and and it starts a series of hiking trails down. And they're narrow, they're technical hiking trails, I guess you would call them. They're uh, rocky in places, but they're absolutely stunning. They're, they're an amazing hike. Yeah, they're great to hike. Yeah. Um, I've, I've hiked them numerous times. Um, but your trails are bike-specific. Yes. Um, it's, and, and it seems like very much oriented towards downhill mountain biking, which has become its own sort of subset of mountain biking. It has, yeah. yeah. So you have, you know, the more 
enduro cross country type trails out in the out of the Cui, and, and those are really fun too. But there is a like you said, a subset of mountain bikers that like to let gravity do the work. That's <laughs> that's really what these trails are focused around. They're they're single track. I try to keep them to about sixty inches in, in width, which is a pretty wide single track trail. Yeah. But that's for safety's sake. So you have some wiggle room there. We have everything from a green they're they're, they're Let's back up. They're, they're rated on the same scale, basically, the ski slope would be. Okay. So a green, blue, easy, blue. yeah, green, blue, black, double black. Uh, we have everything from the green trail the whole way up to the, the double black, uh, depending on how froggy you're feeling that yeah. day. And we've thought about building one more trail that is super family friendly, but I just can't figure out on that hillside grade-wise where we could put it because that that's an incredibly steep hillside. Oh, the top parts are just a straight drop. It, it is. Like, yeah. yeah, it's a series of cliffs along Edge Hill Drive. If you haven't looked over, right. um, it's literally a rock face that runs along there. Right. So when you're building these trails, do you follow a – is there an industry standard for this or are you – yeah, I've been using the IMBA standard, which is the International Mountain Biking Association standard. Those give you your grades for trail steepness uh, spelled out real nice and clear. And that way I could get signs made that correspond to that. And if you're familiar with the IMBA system, those signs correspond with that trail difficulty rating. Okay. So is it, um, so it's three trails now. No. No, no. more than, more than, <laughs> no. Okay. I thought there were three. Okay. Yeah, I'm up to about nine or ten right now that we've built oh and, okay and that's it only because diminishing returns i could either add additional trails and the maintenance on the current ones is going to get hurt or i can maintain the ones that we have now to a really high standard and that's what i'm going to choose to do right i assume you get one trail done first mm-hmm. how does that how's that received very well. I guess it was 2008 when we first opened. Uh, we had a grand opening downhill mountain bike race, and we had about 25 riders come out for that. And then the amount of ridership that we'd, we would see on any given weekend just absolutely exploded. Because you don't have many trail systems that have lift access at the cost of the Johnstown Incline plane. You know, you're going to a ski resort, you're going to pay $75 for a lift pass, whereas it's $3 for a ride up the hill. Yeah, over I think here. it's $15 for a day pass. It is. Yeah, you're not going to beat that anyway. Yeah, or what I was buying, they have 10 ride punch cards. Oh, and even better. Yeah, and they're good forever. Right. Uh, I still have one in my truck that has two punches on it. I get two free rides down the hill, basically. Oh, nice. And we were seeing people coming in from Pittsburgh, Harrisburg State College. Uh, there were a couple of weekends where we'd see 30 to 50 riders coming in just to hang out and go flying down the trails. <laughs> uh, and then the one day, the operator at the bottom of the incline plane said he sold 300 tickets to mountain bikers alone. Um, now, granted, some of those people bought 10 tickets that day. Right. But still, that's a lot of tickets being sold just for people recreating on a hillside. Yeah. I think the last time I rode the incline, cause it, it, it shut down for repairs in 21, I think. Has it I think been two so. full years now almost? Yeah, yeah we did a race years. in 2020, so it would yeah. have been 2021. Uh, and I was on there, I had some out of town guests and uh, we rode down and we rode back up again and we rode back up about eight or nine mountain bikers got on um, and were chomping at the bit. I mean, yeah. you could tell they were ready to send it again. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and you could time it perfectly. I think the first run started at 10. You could start at quarter till 10, ride the trails down, cash that first run, and then it runs every 15 minutes. So as long as you kept 
not taking a break at all, <laughs> you could get like five or six runs in in no time. Yeah, well, you know, you just catch your breath during the downhill part. I exactly. Guess, you know? Yeah, <laughs> you're not paddling, not pedaling a lot. Yeah, no. Again, gravity does that work. Yeah, the trail starts getting some notoriety. Mm-hmm. Um, does that help with any of the initial funding or the or the follow up funding that you needed to continue the work you were doing? Yes, but no. We've had some people make donations. Surprisingly, I've been able to do this entire trail project on about $5,000 is what I've spent right now. And that was mostly on tools and signs. Yeah. When I approached it, I kind of took a DIY punk rock approach to it. Like I wanted to do everything myself or with my small group of people. And that's everything from like event planning, trail maintenance, t-shirt design, you name it. It's, it's all been on us. And I like that we were a, we've been able to sustain this without needing an influx of cash. Now I did get one sizable grant that hopefully someday will help me buy a mini excavator for up there, so I don't have to hand dig trails and hand maintain I've, stuff. I've heard you talking mini excavators with uh, mutual friends of ours before. Yeah, <laughs> boy, one of those you can be your eye on one. <laughs> real nice to get. I just haven't found any in the price range that I'm looking for because when the sewer project started taking off, all the mini excavators dried up because every contractor was buying them to do sewer projects. Right. And the secondhand market, was they were just way too expensive. I'm holding out hope that I find one of those. But yeah, we've been able to do it pretty much on a shoestring budget, and I like it that way. A couple of people have said, yeah, you should get paid for that. Well, no, I don't want, I don't want paid for any of this. There's a certain sense of integrity when you do it just for the sake of doing it for the community, and you're not taking pay for it, that I like to keep that going. I, I don't ever want paid for this kind yeah. of stuff. You know, and, and that's... That's admirable, and I'm not saying it because you're across the table from me. <laughs> I mean, it, you know, there, there are a lot of times where Saturday morning comes up, I'm sitting on the couch watching the news, drinking up a cup, cup of coffee, and I'll check my uh, social media, and you're out on the hillside yep. dragging trees or, or whatever else, and I always think, oof. I don't, I don't want to do that on Saturday morning. It has been every Saturday and Sunday that I'm not on a vacation uh, for the last six years. Yeah. This Saturday, it was pouring down rain. I'm sitting in my truck eating my schmuff, and I'm like, what am I doing with my yeah. life? Questioning like, some life choices. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Again, I could have been sitting on my couch watching Saturday morning cartoons with a cup of tea. Right. But now I'm out in the woods in the cold. So I know you also uh, get volunteers out there with you. Mm-hmm. And um, typically, what does a volunteer crew look like? Small. Uh, <laughs> there is a core group of uh, folks that come out and give us a hand generally. Uh, I'd say four people at most are uh, part of the regular crew that'll pop in. Like even those guys, yeah, I don't expect them to, to give me all of their weekends. So like some of them will just come out Saturday, some of them will just come out Sunday. But on top of that, we've also been able to get some community groups involved. Like uh, Robin Kwan from Vision 2025 came out, and then uh, the UPJ one of the UPJ sports teams came out and helped and, and they've asked for more volunteer opportunities. I have a Johnstown Tomahawk that reached out to me. He needs some volunteer time. So he's going to come out and sling some dirt yeah. with us. Um, <laughs> he should be pretty good at that. I, that's what I think. I'm, I'm up hoping for a really nice cold, icy day. Right. So, yeah, you know, get him he, a trail rig. Yeah, yeah, he'll appreciate that. So it's been a small crew. Um, okay. But yeah, we do have the other people that float in here and there. REI did a trail work day with us back in the very beginning of the project, which was really nice. I'm a big fan of that organization. As am I. Yeah, company. You're out there every Saturday, roughly. You have crews coming in and out. Mm-hmm. Um, you're, what, do you consider yourself 80% done, 90% done? 
probably closer to 90. Okay. New trail construction is all done. Like I said, I have all the trails that I want to stick on that hillside done now. And there's plenty more room for that, or there's plenty of room for more. There's 80 acres between both sides of the incline plane. Right. But again, it just gets too hard to maintain them. Now we have switched from a trail creation phase to purely maintenance. We're going back through and cutting back all of the old trails uh, in the anticipation that the incline is going to open this year. I want to make sure that everything's just in tip-top shape when right. people start coming back to Johnstown to ride them. Yeah, and that's that's actually a good segue. So to what I was the next thing I wanted to talk about about was, uh, I think we said 2021, mm-hmm. they shut down the incline for much needed repairs and upgrades. Uh, I saw in the paper yesterday, they're still working some budget issues and things like that. I guess, I guess they, it's like any other project. It's an onion. <laughs> yeah. You peel they, back some layers. They peel back and they find apparently some metal fatigue or some metal yeah, on corrosion the on the observation deck. deck. So typical. Yeah. But, um, I mean, the, the shutdown of the incline plane was was obviously hard on not not a business model necessarily mm-hmm. for you, but it, the the idea of who's going to be using that that trail. The people that are most likely to use that trail aren't the hardcore uphill mountain bikers. The ones that just <laughs> I can think of a few at Lorba that just seem to love causing misery. Yeah, they love those uh, climbs. I know. I don't understand it. <laughs> no, but, no. Um, what does that do to the utilization of the trail? It kind of hurt me from two perspectives. Going back to the trail maintenance and the crews that would come out before the incline plane closed, there were a bunch of people that came in from out of town and they'd want to ride, but they're like, hey, we'll come in an hour before we start riding and we'll give you a hand with the maintenance of trails. I always had this nice group of people that were randomly coming out and giving me a hand with that. And then two, ridership on the trails does more of the maintenance than I ever can with a rake or a hoe or a shovel. They keep the weeds down, uh, they pack the surface down, and we haven't had that for the last couple of years. There are people up there riding them, but not in the capacity that they are when the incline's open. Uh, So a lot of that stuff has fallen on us to manually do during the season when the incline plane's operating. I might go up there with a brush cutter and cut things back once maybe twice and i was doing it every other week this summer yeah the ridership the lack of ridership has really hurt the maintenance on the trails yeah and that lack of ridership has hurt the local economy i mean you and i both know a local business that i'm i'm pretty sure yeah went under because i yeah the, the inflow of riders from out of town uh, stopped showing up and they stopped buying bike tubes and, yeah you know yeah and i don't want to speak for that person but yeah. that definitely put a hurting on on business because you know, those just those small consumables they yeah. add up for for a small local shop mm-hmm. you know you don't have to go in there and buy a five thousand dollar bike but if you're buying 25 or 30 dollars worth of stuff on a saturday morning so that you have some extra like you said extra tubes and you know, lose a valve stem caps, stupid little things. Right. It adds up. And then uh, you get the impulse buys. Yeah, everything. exactly. That too. But, and those are the things typically that those kind of businesses rely on for cash flow too. So, exactly. Yeah. And, and that business shutting down, I'm not comfortable saying the name out loud, but I think everybody knows. Yeah, I think everybody knows too. And, uh, um, and I, it was a loss to the community. I think it was devastating to the local cycling community, yeah. but it would be good, good for the owner for, other reasons, not because he had to close his business, and and I, I'm really sad that that business went out of yeah. isn't going to be in Johnstown anymore. Yeah, yeah, it was Johnstown was a better place for it. A hundred percent. Yeah, a hundred percent. 
But, you know, the, the thing is, and I know you mostly through paddling. Mm-hmm. When I talk paddling with people who are here but don't paddle, I try to stress the fact that we have people on a, a release from the Qui that will travel from North Carolina on just a regular weekend. Yeah. And when they're here, they're buying dinner. They're staying in hotels. They're renting campsites. Yep. Um, and the, the same thing goes with the with the peddlers, though, too. Exactly. For the paddling side of things, think about, like, how many cars you see with boats on top of them at the crow's nest after a release. Exactly. Those guys have to make a small fortune off of the paddlers. And then down here, everybody liked to go to Stone Bridge after they were done riding for the day. Uh, so, you know, that's a an injection in uh, Jeremy's arm over there yeah. of people just looking for a tasty beer and a burger after riding all day. Both are easy to find there. Your boy, are they? <laughs> and delicious. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so I, they're, they're definitely has to have been a an impact on the local economy as a result of the the incline shutting down and not not slamming Camtran for I know they had to do what they had oh, to yeah. do it was not it could have been bordering on it on a safety issue down the road if they hadn't done it so yeah apparently braking systems are important or something who would know <laughs> uh, they didn't they didn't ask my opinion on whether you need a brake on there but I probably would have said yeah probably yeah Dave O'Leary professional yeah, incline exactly. engineer <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there there definitely was an impact on on the economy as yeah. a result of it, and it, it, we think it's coming back twenty four, mid twenty four. I hope so. I, I I hope we're pleasantly surprised, and it's early summer twenty twenty four. I I need I need an incline plane in my life. I need to get my downhill on. Like right now, we'll set up shuttle days so you can get off the trails at Yoder Street, and we'll just park a couple of trucks there and shuttle people back and forth. Or the other option is you pedal up Mill Creek Road. Right. If I go out on for a day, it takes me about five minutes to get down the trail and then 22 minutes to pedal up Mill Creek Road on a downhill bike. It's uh, miserable. Yeah. I've pedaled up it on a mountain bike and I pedaled up on a road bike and both were awful. Yeah. But the mountain bike was a particular kind of awful. Yeah. You could get those knobby uh, tires yeah, with exactly. the rolling resistance <laughs> and suspension that's squishy and right. it's all bad. So even though the incline is down, uh, your trail work has continued. Mm-hmm. Um, what's next for yourself? I, now, I know you're working with, because I, I listen to the podcast. Yeah. Uh, I know you're working uh, in South Fork. Mm-hmm. And did you have uh, anything to do with the Qui trail system? I helped Clark Fisher out there a bunch um, right when they started that project from kind of like the Jerome Sportsman's area over to the Green Bridge. I was out there a good bit helping Clark, and that's where I learned how to make trails was from Clark Fisher. Uh, so I can't thank him enough for his expert tutelage. Yeah. And if you haven't checked out the Quee trails, I recommend you go out there because they're fantastic. So I did help with the Quee trails. I also helped. There's a, a connector from Duman's Dam to the CNI extension on the Ghost Town Trail that runs through the woods, and Clark and I both helped with that one. And then, uh, yeah, these new trails out in South Fork, Mark Cohart from the Historical Society out there, approached Cliff Kittner and said, hey, do you know anybody that can build trails on a hillside? And Cliff's like, I know a guy. Do I know a guy? (laughs) Yeah. So we went out there and flagged a series of trails. Mark's presenting it to Borough Council as as we speak. Uh, We don't see why they wouldn't approve it, but we're going to have a very family-friendly hiking and biking trail up on the flat part near Falcon Fields. And then the hillside kind of drops off precipitously, so we're going to build some nice, long, single-track downhill stuff that you can take down into South Fork and then ride back up. Now, is that going to be 
mixed use? I mean, is it going to be for mountain biking and and pedestrian, you know, hiking or? Yeah, I think I can make it wide enough yeah. in there. Their hillside isn't as steep as the incline hillside. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, for the incline hillside, say I want to make a trail you know, 48 inches wide. The amount of uphill that I have to cut out to make that bench is a lot of dirt. It's not an insignificant amount of dirt that we were moving there. But this hillside, it's a more gradual slope out in South Fork. So I think I'll be able to... Just more conducive to yeah. making it sort of a dual use. And a lot of that stuff, what I was looking at, I don't even have to bench cut it in. Uh, I just have to rake it off and boom, you have a trail. Yeah. Uh, you know, just want to take this opportunity to point out if you're going to go check out these trails and you think you're going to do uh, specific to the incline, you think you're going to do it on foot, uh, <laughs> I would... <laughs> not recommend it. Uh, some of those trails are very narrow and mm -hmm. there's always a push pull between, I mean, it happens in the snow sports too. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you're snowshoeing and the, and, and the cross country skiers come by, they get all <laughs> bent out of shape. Yeah. Uh, and when I'm on my cross country skis, I get bent out of shape. But, um, so, I mean, I, I think in other areas, there's been some um, back and forth between hikers and mountain bikers and, mm -hmm. you know, the, there are opportunities to hike the incline yeah. that are specific to hiking, and you should probably just think about staying on that if you're on foot. And if somebody did want to try to hike the mountain bike trails just to get a feel for what they're like, uh, if they reached out to me through Facebook or whatever the case is, I would be more than happy to like tell them when a good time to do that is or go out and, and go for a hike with them. Yeah. But yeah, generally, like since they're directional trails and they're narrow, there's not a lot of room to get out of the way of somebody coming down the hill or a hiker coming up the hill. Right. You're also uh, through wearing your CVC hat, your Connemaw Valley Conservancy, <laughs> part of uh, an effort to extend the usage of that hillside mm -hmm. uh, as part of a, like a sliver park, I think they're calling it, yes. or a, yeah. uh, on the river. Can, can you just fill us in a little bit on where that is? Yeah. So Sliver Park would be, if you're facing the incline plane, it would be just to the left of it. It's one of the only areas in the entire city where there's not river wall. Uh, and it's the natural-ish bank right there. So the idea is to build a series of walkways that lead down to the river. They would be ADA accessible with a fishing pier. Uh, you know, as we get some of the AMD discharges cleaned up and you know, fish have been returning to the river in the Stony Creek in particular on a fairly significant level. Um, it'll provide access for folks to get down there. And uh, it, it, in theory, it would also include a new walkway to get to the trails from the PennDOT bridge that leads to the incline plane. Um, but there's some engineering hiccups on that right now that we're trying to work our way through. But Sliver Park, uh, yeah, it'll be a nice North Shore of Pittsburgh style park, imagine, down nestled next to the incline plane. Will there be a place you could actually stick your toes in the water if you were so inclined or is that? There sure will be. That's, that's, yeah. that's great because it is one of the peculiarities of this area because of the Army Corps of Engineers put those walls up everywhere. If you yeah. live in this, if you actually live in Johnstown, there's really nowhere you can actually go put your toes in the water. No, you, there are those steps that they build into the walls, but those are pretty steep. And Yeah, I sort of assume that's for rescue purposes more than anything <laughs> yeah. else. You'd yeah. want a rope or something. Exactly. Uh, you know, I guess you could go down the ramps if you wanted, if you wanted to. You could, yeah. But still, uh, it's not very aesthetically appealing no, to go no. down a concrete ramp to play in the river. Right. And you, you figure they start just south of Johnstown High School, uh, and they continue the whole way through the city, the whole way out the gap into um, the West End and, and out that way. So there's literally nowhere through the city to get down in there except for this spot. Right. So some some access will 
will make Johnstown an even better place to live. Absolutely, it will. Let's talk, uh, if I am so inclined to uh, get off my couch on a Saturday morning and, and grab a Pulaski or a trail rake or something like that, how do I get a hold of you? The easiest way is through the Friends of the Incline Plain Trails Facebook page. Shoot me a message on there, and I, I'm pretty responsive for the most part if I remember to check my messages. <laughs> Otherwise, generally we meet at the end of Yoder Street at 8 o'clock Saturdays and Sunday mornings, and we only work until 10. Okay. So two hours of time is all I ask from volunteer. I, I'm feeling a little guilty. I may actually have to show up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if I can make a recommendation, wait until it's a taste warmer. The hillside's way more enjoyable. The one thing about that hill is it faces – up the gap where the 1889 flood came down mm. from South Fork. And that's a big wide open area and the weather hits the face of that hill like head on. So if it's windy out, you feel it the yeah. whole time you're out there. Yeah, I um you know, I'm not from here, so uh, but I'm a I'm a huge fan of living here. I'm never leaving. Yeah. And uh, but I read the the book the, about the flood and when it describes the first wave that came through town it, it didn't do that much damage, but it, I guess if I recall correctly, it bounced off where the where the incline is. Yes, and came right back at the city again. Yeah, and that and was caused a lot of damage. Really wrecked things. Refracting and off that, yeah. There's a bit of an urban legend that when the wave came down through the city and it destroyed one of the banks, it deposited the safe from that bank somewhere on that hillside. Oh, really? Yeah, and someone who is a local, very well-known realtor was talking to me about this. He's, he's big into metal detecting, that he, he's gone up there metal detecting a bunch of times. Really, I'm not up there building trails. I'm excavating for a bank that, safe. Is that all this under, time? <laughs> under the pretense of building mountain bike trails. I'm going to find that safe someday, Dave. And then you're just going to go dark. <laughs> and then that, yeah. nobody will hear from me ever again. <laughs> I'll be living somewhere down in the Caribbean, sipping on Mai Tais. Wow. Can I come? I'll help you move you the safe. help me find the safe? I'll yeah. help you move it at least. Yeah, if you want to help me move it, even better. Yeah. Anyway, I, I think we've touched on everything you you might want to talk about is there anything else we missed yeah no again if people want to reach out to me friends of the inclined plane trails facebook page oh and i started an instagram i'll share the links for those in the show notes for okay this. great well mike i i've said it before and I'm, i said it earlier i'm, I'm a huge fan um you, you put in an um, an immense amount of personal time into making johnstown a better place to live uh, and a better place to recreate. And I'm a believer that this, this city is never going to come back from manufacturing, but we're going to get people that want to live here because of all the recreational opportunities. I think so too. Uh, and, I, and, I really do. Yeah. And if we have, uh, a, uh, if we have a healthy place to live with a lot of act, uh, opportunities to recreate, uh, people are going to follow that. Yeah. And, and that will lead to the, the second or maybe the third, <laughs> you know, the version 3.0 of Johnstown. The, those quality of life amenities like outdoor recreation do go a long way, uh, especially for younger generations and, and, and kids now that are coming out of college and realizing, you know, they could work remotely for bigger companies, even in Pittsburgh, where they only have to go into the office maybe one or two days a week. And then they can find a place here in Johnstown where cost of living is insanely low right now and they can enjoy the things that they like to do in their free time and and they don't have to worry about commuting out of a city to go recreate right yeah Johnstown offers a lot if you're into recreation and um and you know the that's how we get people to want to live here and work here and spend their money here. And, yep. And that's good for all of us. It's a, it's a piece of the puzzle. It's it not is. the only piece, but it is an important piece of the puzzle. 
Well, I'm going to hand over the show back to you. Uh, like I like I said earlier, be kind if you're editing. Oh, there's no editing. Everything that, that we talked about today is it. So with that, uh, thanks for checking out another episode of Where Adventure Lives, the podcast. Dave O'Leary, thank you so much for coming in today and being my host for the day. I truly appreciate that. Um, also, I want to thank the Remax team or Bob Colvin and Remax Team Realtors for supporting the podcast. Bob Colvin team is ready to help you discover our area's adventures. You can find your perfect place at movetojohnstown.com or call them anytime, 814-262-7653. For more information on anything we talked about, go to whereadventurelives.org or send me show ideas at whereadventurelives814 at gmail.com. I'm Mike Cook. I'll catch you next time on another episode of Where Adventure Lives, the podcast. <laughs>